Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. So a volcano erupted underwater in Tonga recently, and it was incredibly powerful. And it got us thinking, how worried should we be about a massive volcanic eruption doing catastrophic damage? Where are the hot spots? To talk about all this, we caught up with Dr. Loik van der Kluizen. He is an associate professor in volcanology at Drexel University. This is really interesting. Give a listen. I think, you know, most people can recognize a volcano just from a picture, but what meets the definition of a volcano? What are the criteria that something has to, to, to be considered a volcano? Yeah, actually volcanoes come in a lot of different shapes and sizes. And generally people will think of volcano as some sort of pointy mountain, but there are plenty of volcanoes that really don't fit that definition at all. If you're thinking of Yellowstone, it's actually kind of flat and more like a hole in the ground. And the definition of a volcano, strictly speaking, is the thing that powers volcanoes is magma. Magma is a geological material, which is basically liquid rock. So as long as you are able to form liquid rock somewhere inside the earth um, and make it rise through the crust so that it gets to the surface, then you can call it a volcano. And some volcanoes can get really big. Barge's volcano uh, right now on earth is Mauna Loa in Hawaii. Um, and some of them are pretty small, and some of them have actually been accidentally created by humans. Uh, there was a drilling operation in Iceland several years ago where they hit a little magma pocket, so a little pocket of you know liquid rock, and because of the drilling, they let that little pocket of liquid rock escape to the surface. And so the volcano that they created accidentally was just a few feet high, and that meets the definition as well. Now, I've heard things referred to as a super volcano what you know difference between a run-of-the-mill volcano and a super volcano yeah so that's a term that's been mostly used in the media um, to describe volcanoes that are capable of producing these things that we call super eruptions that just um, are explosive eruptions that are extremely large volume Um, so we have a scale of the size of explosive volcanic eruption called the Volcanic Explosivity Index, the VEI index. And the the highest that it goes is up to eight. And anything that's seven or eight meets the definition of a super eruption. And presumably a super volcano is a volcano that can, doesn't necessarily have to, but can produce these extremely large super eruptions. And we happen to have a couple of those um, in the United States, uh, Yellowstone being one of them, Long Valley, Caldera in California being another example. How concerned should we be? Let's talk specifically about these these two super volcanoes of one of them erupting, like seriously erupting, because I'm sure it's something that happens, but maybe thousands of years between them. Where are we as far as uh, overdue for an eruption or far away from an eruption? Yeah, volcanoes don't really work on the clock, um, you know, just because it has eruptions on average every 600,000 years doesn't mean they can't wait a million years. Um, we have this saying in geology that it's never a matter of uh, if, it's always a matter of when. 
these super eruptions have happened before and they will happen again. Now, if you're talking about my lifetime, your lifetime, your auditor's lifetimes, um, right now there's no sign that Yellowstone is recharging its reservoir, that it's getting ready for another super eruptions, like it had three of them. And um, many of these large caldera systems that can produce these super eruptions, especially in the area of Yellowstone, they only produce one, two, three, or four, and then they're done. And so Yellowstone already had three. There's no evidence that it's going to actually make a fourth of these extremely large eruptions. So at this moment, the super volcanoes in the U.S. are pretty quiet. Um, these super eruptions have happened before. It's very likely that one of them will happen in the next 10,000 years. But the probability that it'll happen in the next 50 years is, is fairly small. And certainly if we're talking about the ones in the U.S., there's no immediate concern for any of them. But people will say that you know the last um, eruption at Yellowstone was a little over 600,000 years ago. And on average, it erupts every 6,000 years. So we've overdue. But sometimes it waits a million years or more. So it could also mean that we have to wait another 400,000 years, or maybe there's not going to be another super eruption at Yellowstone at all. You mentioned it's erupted three times. I'm fascinated. How do we know? How do you know? Like what, what are the, the signs, the, the clues, the, the evidence that you guys, that you find in research that tells you, okay, it's erupted three times. Yeah, so when these uh, eruptions happen, they dump a lot of ash into the atmosphere and that ash will eventually settle on the ground and get incorporated in the layers of rocks that you can study. And then you can look at chunks of carbon in it and do carbon dating on the chunks of carbon to know how old they are. And generally, the, the highest amount of ash you're going to find is near the volcano. And as you move away from the volcano, you find less and less. So you can trace these ash layers that have been deposited in the past, date them with radiocarbon dating or other methods, and then look at their distribution across territory where you find them and they're thickest near Yellowstone. So we can ascribe it to that specific volcano and they thin out. But... Um, I haven't been specific about scale. You do find ash from these volcanic eruptions at Yellowstone all the way to Texas and Oklahoma. And you can model how far these eruptions can go. A typical super eruption at Yellowstone would probably be able to dump about an inch or two of ash all the way to Philadelphia if it were to erupt again. So these eruptions are large. They're, they don't cause mass extinctions. This is not something that you know would wipe out 90% of the species. It's not Thanos wiping out half of the humanity, um, but it would cause a severe disruption. And you can imagine that if you dump a foot of volcanic ash over the Midwest, you would probably have problems for the food supply because this is a large area where we grow a lot of food. It would cause problems for power lines. It would cause problems for delivering um, you know, truck traffic across large swaths of the United States because ash is not like snow. It doesn't melt. It has to be cleaned up. Um, a lot of the grazing animals would have problems. Ash on grazing ground um, can cause health issues. And so, you know, the now you're talking about the beef supply and the food supply for beef and all these things would would be severely disrupted. It would probably mean no air traffic across the United States for several weeks. 
until the ash is gone. That can also be extremely disruptive. And massive power outages because volcanic ash that falls on power lines can cause short circuits. So it would be a severe disruption, not it wouldn't wipe out humanity, but it would uh, potentially have severe social disruption aspects to the society for especially a large country that uh, is so dependent on communication and truck traffic and car traffic and airplane traffic to distribute food and supplies across the country. I mean, how big would loss of life be in the area of the volcano? Like, you know, we talk about the ash to Philadelphia and all that, but, you know, how many people would be in danger around Yellowstone if it were to erupt? Yeah, the the kill zone, which would basically kill 90% of the people as well as animals, would basically cover the entire state of uh, Idaho. So there wouldn't be anybody left in Idaho or very few people. Um, hopefully, because these large eruptions tend to also have a lot of warning signs, we would be able to evacuate people or majority of people. But we're talking like massive scale evacuation across the the mountain west region of the U.S. Um, thankfully, many of these states are not extremely highly populated. You know, Wyoming has maybe half a million people, but um, it would still be logistically quite complex to handle. Anybody who would be left before the eruption in Idaho, and that includes, you know, deers and beavers and raccoons and all the other wildlife that exists there, uh, would be wiped out completely. And then as you move further away from there, you have um, diminishing potential for disruption. So once you get to the neighboring states, you, if you're prepared to you know, have your water supply contaminated by falling ash and you have three weeks, four weeks of water supply stash, then you can probably survive it. You mentioned warning signs. What would we be looking for? Uh, for an eruption, I would imagine like earthquakes. Uh, would it be would it be tangible things like earthquakes for the most part, or would it be more readings, you know, stuff like that kind of uh, statistical things that that told you we're in trouble? It would be pretty tangible. Um, the three things that we look for the most before volcanic eruptions are uh, earthquakes changes in the chemistry of the gases that are emitted by the volcano and changes in the shape of the volcano. These volcanoes are fed by magma reservoirs at depth. We call them magma chambers sometimes. And the one that's at Yellowstone is pretty much frozen solid. It hasn't had very much activity since the, you know, several tens of thousands of years ago. Um, so we look for a sign that this, these reservoirs are getting replenished and that causes the ground to swell on large scales, and that causes small earthquakes. And the majority of these earthquakes are probably not detectable by humans. If you're even if you're at Yellowstone, you would probably not um, feel them, or just a slight rumbling like a truck passing by. But our instruments are pretty sensitive, and so we'd we'd notice um, increase in seismicity, changes in temperature of the of the water system that's above it. So the geysers would probably start getting hotter. And instead of being fed by, by hot water, they'd be turning completely to steam. They would become more acidic, uh, turn yellow and very smelly due to the increase in sulfur dioxide, which is a gas that's produced by uh, fresh magma when it's getting replenished at depth. 
Um, and then with the satellites and the GPS stations, we can monitor the changes in ground shape, motion, vertical displacement. And so we have really very good tools to even doing it by satellite, uh, measure any changes in the shape of the volcano. And there may be, you know, ground increases on the order of one inch per year, which would be completely not noticeable by people on the ground. But with the instruments we have, we can pick those very small changes up. You talk about the people in Idaho, it would be the end. What is the the main thing that people would fall victim to? Is it the overwhelming ash? Is it magma? What What is the main uh, danger when you're when, within the the vicinity of a volcano, or in this case, like a super volcano, like like Yellowstone? Yeah, it depends how far or how close you are to the to the the center of the eruption or the vent where the the eruption starts. Um, very close to the vent, the uh, volcano throws out a lot of very large blocks in the air, and they tend to fall in a 10 to 20 mile radius, I would say, for an eruption of that size, you know, blocks of rocks that are maybe the size of a car. So in the immediate vicinity, uh, it's getting crushed by these rocks that start falling from, you know, two or three miles up in the sky. If you're not paying attention or it's too dark, you're just going to get pelted by rocks the size of a piano. So death by getting crushed would be one of the hazards very near. And also these extremely large eruptions produce these phenomena that we call pyroclastic flows. Um, For those of people who remember the movie uh, Dante's Peak from the 90s, uh, there's some really good depiction of pyroclastic flows, but they would be on a much larger scale. So what are those things? They're basically clouds that contain very hot gas as well as ash and moves at pretty high velocity up to 200, 300 miles per hour. And so in probably 100, 150 mile radius around the volcano, um, you would get hit by these clouds of hot gas and ash and blocks. And you would be torn to shreds. um, Volcanic ash is basically little shards of glass um, and it's very hot. So you would catch on fire. And if you don't do either of those things, you would probably have to breathe at some point and the hot gas getting into your lungs would burn your lungs, which would then fill with fluids and you you would drown. So that's a very unpleasant form of death um, for people who've seen the remnants of dead bodies at Pompeii. This is how the majority of the people at Pompeii uh, after the 79 AD eruption of Vesuvius died. And you see those, those bodies are extremely contorted of people grasping their throat. And that's because they're suffocating and they're drowning and they're burning probably also uh, to some degree at the same time. So that would be the, the major hazard, I would say, in a few hundred mile radius around the volcano. And then as you move further away, um, you probably would suffer ash fall and pumice fall. Um, this is not something that would cause immediate death, but ash can accumulate on the roofs of houses, and it's really dense. It's a lot denser than snow. Um, it's more like concrete. And so um, if you're seeking shelter inside your house, after a few hours of 
raining ash from the sky, the, the roof of your house can collapse. And this is something that we know also causes a lot of fatalities. We've observed that in um, Japan, Indonesia, and other places that experience these eruptions. And so that would be probably the main hazards for anywhere between you know, Idaho and Illinois. Uh, and as you move further away from that, it's you have to deal with the ash uh, contaminating water supplies. And so it's more like a, a long-term risk to your health. Um, you know, the air quality would be poor, so it would uh, be problematic for people who have respiratory issues like um, COPD or asthma. They would have trouble breathing. And that would probably be true for anybody between you know, Illinois and the East Coast. We had that eruption of a volcano, I think, uh, off the coast of Tonga that caused that tsunami. And you yeah. saw, I mean, we didn't get a tsunami in California, but you saw waves as a result of that. I'm curious, just for some context, you mentioned that uh, I think it was the VEI. You know, what what was that eruption? How intense was that eruption? Yeah, that was an extremely violent eruption that didn't last very long. Um, people who've looked at VEI think they estimated at five. Um, something catastrophic like Krakatoa, which happened in the late 1800s, uh, is estimated as a VEI six. And so we're expecting something like Yellowstone to be more like a seven or eight. So a scale that uh, the human race has probably not experienced in the last 70,000 years. So you say that, you know, in the U.S., super volcanoes are pretty quiet right now. Is there anywhere in the world that scientists are, I don't want to say alarmed, but if there's going to be a massive eruption, what is at the top of the most likely list? I think when we're looking at these, they're all being fairly well monitored and all of the extremely large caldera systems that can you know, create these extremely large eruptions are they're all pretty quiet right now. And the things that make volcanologists nervous is, you know, when we look at risk, we don't only take the volcano into account, but the other thing that goes into the equation is people. And so the very large volcanoes that have a lot of people around them are the ones that make us nervous. Um, and so if you have extremely large volcano in places that have, don't have a lot of people, then the risk is lower, even though the volcano can do the same thing. And there just happens to be one of these extremely large volcanoes that is around Naples in Italy, where there's several million people who live in extremely close proximity. Uh, Vesuvius is the one that people think of when I talk about Naples, but <clears throat> they have another one of these extremely large volcanoes called uh, Campi Flegrei, which is right on the other side of the Bay of Naples. Um, that an eruption there would be an absolute nightmare. Uh, just because of the density of the people who live there and because of the logistics of trying to evacuate people in southern Italy, the road network don't really lend themselves to you know, mass scale evacuations. And it's not easy to relocate four or five million people either. And also, it's, it's also right on the Bay of Naples, which means that it's also right on the edge of uh, the Mediterranean, part of the Mediterranean Sea. And so the risk for tsunamis is also high in that case. And so you have another hazard to contend with. I'm curious, what's the, the closest volcano to the Philadelphia area? Yeah, that's something that I, I looked up not too long ago. I was trying to take a short trip to the nearest volcano. Um, I think it's probably in the Caribbean. Um, Iceland is not also very far. And of course, 
in the United States, uh, there are various volcanoes. Yellowstone is probably the closest relatively active one. And there are some in New Mexico that are not currently active, but there's people who are interested in visiting volcanic landscapes can go to Craters on the Moon in Idaho or the Valles Caldera in New Mexico. But probably, the, the you know, as a crow's fly, it's the Soufrière volcanoes in St. Vincent or Montserrat in the Caribbean. We've talked a lot about active volcanoes, but I guess you obviously learn a lot from those that have gone completely dormant, no? Yes. So one of my areas of research are these uh, specific type of volcanoes that are called large igneous provinces or lips for short. And they don't look very impressive because they're only made of lava flows. They're, they don't really have any of the explosive product. They don't really have a lot of ash layers, um, but they tend to be a lot more ancient. And the most recent lip eruption is probably 30 million years in the past. But there have been, you know, 12 or 15 in geological history that we can very well document. And many of them are associated with extremely profound disruptions of the environment and even causing mass extinction. The one that I study is called the Deccan Traps. It's located in India, and it's a pile of lava flows that is about a mile in height and covers an area about the size of Texas. So it's it's really a substantial area just completely covered in many, many lava flows. And that area was, of course, very active 66 million years ago, and there's no, no more volcanoes in the center of India now. But these lava flows are enormous. You can imagine a lava flow vent in Philadelphia being able to flow all the way to Cincinnati or Atlanta. So those are 400 miles long lava flows and just hundreds of them stacked on top of each other. And the reason they disrupted the, the, the environment so much is because they released a lot of carbon dioxide and sulfur dioxide and had massive environmental impacts that completely disrupted the climate. So we know that they've caused um, a major mass extinction about 200 million years ago. These eruptions actually were in the eastern United States. There are some remnants of it in Pennsylvania, in the Gettysburg area, notably. Um, but of course, that was a long time ago, and there's no more evidence or there's no risk of these eruptions happening again, at least not in the United States. Um, will those happen again? Yes, they will. We don't know, but it's going to be probably several million years before one of these eruptions hits again. So again, for you and your children, your grandchildren, your great, 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 16 time great grandchildren, <laughs> it's probably fine. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.